0: God created the first man and the first woman back in Genesis. He created them with a purpose. What was that purpose? Relationship and restoration. Somebody's been listening, right? So, and we were made specifically in a certain way. What was that way? We were made in the image of God, right? Um, we were made for a specific purpose, which I think David really gets. We were created to, and given the assignment of doing what, David? Ruling the earth on God's behalf. A lot of people miss that. Um, You know, well, we were created to fill the earth and multiply. We we got that part. We do that. You know, that's really easy. But the ruling the earth part was the hard part and what we messed up on. And we did mess it up. And God's mission has been that mission of reconciliation or restoration. Um, That is, God has been working to fix our broken relationships with him. He didn't fail, we did, and he's been working to restore that relationship. Um, We saw that with Noah, we saw that with Abraham, we saw that with Moses, and ultimately we see that in the person of Jesus Christ, don't we? how God is purposely trying to restore relationships. So how many of you, after we've studied for like two years now on this intro and the mission of God, how many of you believe that God wants people to know him and be in a personal relationship with him? It's okay to show your hands. It's because you can't catch things just by showing hands. Um, this (laughs) This morning, we got to watch a video about two people who are training and raising up support to share God with a people group that has not heard of him. So how many of you believe that they are called to be on mission with God? Well, sure. We call them missionaries because they're on mission with God, right? So I'm curious, if I was to continue this line of, of logic and questioning, how many of you are convinced that God has called me and David to join him on his mission of restoration and reconciliation. I'm hoping a lot of hands go up here. I'm figuring if you didn't believe that, you wouldn't be here, right? So that's, that was my hope. So David, most of them raised their hand. You'd have to turn around and look. He, David's like, I don't wanna look, I don't wanna look. He's like, it's all good. So I guess the last question I would have to ask in this, in this order then is how many of you are thoroughly convinced that God has called you to join him on his mission of restoration? Okay, well, great. You've all just set yourselves up for the rest of the message here. God has a mission, and He wants us to join Him on that mission. But I have found that most people who are reborn through Jesus Christ will be satisfied with attending a Sunday service, listening to their favorite Christian music, and volunteering at their church every once in a while. And they're okay with that. Now, those are not bad things, right? They're not bad things in and of themselves, but they kind of miss the mark on the big picture of what God had in mind, I think, when he reconciled us to himself. Joining God on mission is something that takes effort. And actually it's something that takes intentionality. And so this morning I want us to focus on this concept of kingdom intentionality. And I'm gonna unpack that with you this morning. It's gonna be more of a dialogue and some question and answer. But I wanna unpack that together this morning. Um, I want us to really understand the truth of what God has done for us and what he's called us to in living for him. Because he's called us to intentional kingdom living. And I want you to flip with me in your Bibles or on your apps to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start there. We're going to jump around a bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. And I'll give you just a second to get there. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, that the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed this message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He has made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This passage makes it super clear that there's a mission. It makes it super clear that God was on a mission of reconciling people to himself. Jesus came and took our sins upon himself and died for us so that we could be restored or reconciled back to God. What Jesus did was to help fulfill God's mission on this earth. That started back in Genesis when we messed up. And we were promised in Genesis 3.15 with the seed of the woman. And we were promised with Abraham. And we were promised with David. And we see in Christ the fulfillment of this promise of God that he wanted to restore relationship. And Jesus came and did the mission of God. And in Christ, we are now new what? Creations. This is taking us back to the creation narrative. This is taking us back to Genesis chapters 1 through 3. When God created us, mankind that is, he looked at all of his creation, he created the animals and it was good. He created the birds, it was good. He created the fish, it was good. He created the plants, it was good. He created man and woman in his image, in his likeness, and he said, this is very good. Not just good, this is very good. And then he blessed them. And then we messed up. But what he's saying here is in Christ, we're now taken back to become new creations, recreated back into the image of God, the way we were designed to be in the first place. We're made the righteousness of God, the image of God to the world around us. When we sinned we, and we broke creation and now Jesus, through Jesus we're recreated and restored back to that relationship. Now, this passage of, of verses, I think the most common verse that's quoted from here is verse 17, right? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. How many of you have heard that verse before? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, we like to quote that one. It makes a good plaque. It makes a good sign because it talks about what we've received because of God. Because of Jesus Christ, I'm new. Woo-hoo! Now, some people use this as, like, you know, um, that whole saying, be patient with me, God isn't finished with me yet. They kind of like spin off of it. That, that's not a Bible verse, by the way. Um, it's just a cool plaque. But this verse says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. My past is gone, my history is gone. Everything is made new in Jesus Christ. We love that verse. I don't think I know anybody that can quote verse 18 for me from memory. Any of you? Yeah, so we like 17 because 17 talks about us. But very few people quote verse 18 and say, now I get to help other people know God. And let's look at verse 18 again together, real quickly here. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. It's not that just what's been taken away in this passage. Yes, our sins are gone. Yes, the old is gone, but it's also what we've been given. The new has come, and the new is not about a new body, it's not about a new hairstyle. It's about a new purpose. It's about a new mission. It's about a new calling from God. The old is gone, which is where we live for ourselves. The new has come, which is where we live for something bigger than ourselves. We live for God and his mission. We are recreated to our mission of ruling with God. And this new life is meant to be lived um, through a different set of lenses, I guess I would put it. Focusing on the things that please God. Focusing on the mission of restoring others to God. Let's look at verses 18 through 20 again. I just want to read them together again. Verses 18 through 20 in 2 Corinthians 5. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, and we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I think we would do well to notice in this passage that there's not a lot of wiggle room for options. It's not like, hey, you know what? If you wanna sign up, God's got a space for you on the bench. You can come in, you know, you can be on the team. There's, There's really no wiggle room for that. Did you catch the absolutes in there? We've been reconciled in verse 18, and he has given you the ministry of reconciliation. It's a stewardship. It's like, okay, I just saved you from your sins and I'm repurposing you. I'm recalling you back to your original mission. It's yours. And he just hands it to us. It's been given to us. It's been committed to us, is the other word that we have. We have given and we have committed. Now, I think of two different things. Given is like a gift, right? Oh, have a chocolate. I've been given a chocolate. That's a gift. The chocolates have been committed to my care. There's a difference, isn't there? Like chicken pot pie. I mean, right? So he says, listen, because this has happened, we are ambassadors. We make his appeal and we plead on his behalf. Not, well, we could, we might, we should, we ought to. It's this is what we do. It's, it's our calling. There's much that we can... Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of ways that we try to make up excuses as to why this doesn't apply to us. But there's really no ignoring the fact when you read a passage like this that God's mission needs to become our mission. That God saves us so that we can join him on his mission. So let me ask you again, how many of you believe you are called to join God on his mission? Well, you kind of like, you have no choice now. You have to raise your hand, right? That mission is to reflect God to the world around us, to be recreated back into the image of God to the world around us, to show God's love to the people that are a part of God's family, to show God's love to the people who are not yet a part of God's family. It's also to plead with people to come to God through. Jesus. And for us to take this mission means to shift the way we view life. Uh, It's to be intentional about life. And that's the real challenge, isn't it? It's not that we don't necessarily comprehend it or we can't just say, yeah, I get it. I'm supposed to do this. I think where the rubber meets the road is, but how do we live it? What does it look like to be on mission for God? What has to change so that we can do the things God wants us to do And what is it going to take for the light bulb to go off where we go, oh, that's what it means? And I'm praying that all of you have that aha moment at some point. To be intentional is the challenge. And Paul talks about this in verse 16 of our passage, doesn't he? He says, Listen, from now on, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. He's telling us how we have to start thinking. How we, the lenses we have to start looking through. He says, even if we know Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we no longer know him in this way. From now on, I can't just look through the lenses of the world around me. I can't just look at my circumstances and my relationships and my work and my family and all those things just from the lens of the world around me. I have to start looking at them from a different perspective. Not from a worldly perspective, but from an otherworldly perspective, from a kingdom perspective. We're going to talk a lot about the kingdom, our, our series for the next so many weeks if God allows us to, is going to be um, your kingdom come. And it starts by us acknowledging the kingdom and seeing the importance of the kingdom in every aspect of our lives and what it means to be a part of that kingdom. Um, So so what does that look like for you and me? Well, I want us to look at another verse together. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. And you can kind of hang out in Colossians 3, because we're going to come back to it. Um, You should just read the whole chapter. It's fantastic. matter of fact, you should just read the whole Bible. It's really awesome. So, (laughs) just throwing it out there. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then he goes on to explain a little bit about why we should do that. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is what? Seated next to the Father. In other words, where he is on his throne. It's his kingdom where he's ruling. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the rule of Christ in your life. Set our minds on God's kingdom. The things above set your minds on the things above doesn't mean on the stars, but rather on the things that take place in the very presence of God. God speaks and worlds are created. God speaks and we should move on his command. We like the creative power of God in making everything around us. Do we also like the kingdom power of God to move us where he wants us, to do the things that he wants us? To set your minds on things above is to allow Christ to be the ruler of our of of this world in our kingdom, he is the ruler, but we don't always allow him to be in our lives. If I've been raised to new life in Christ, I seek the things above, where Christ is seated next to the Father. Matthew six thirty three and thirty four gives us a verse that's very familiar and often quoted. But seek first the kingdom of God, right? And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Some of you like that last part of that verse is like your life verse. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And you're like, thank you, Jesus, come soon. Um, But a lot of us like to quote verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What part of that verse do we like the most? And all these things will be added to you. I think we need to flip that upside down. I think the beauty of that verse is that we get to seek God's kingdom first. That we now actually have a calling as part of God's kingdom. We are to have a mindset that we are part of the mission of God and building his kingdom in this world. We have to seek first the kingdom of God, not the things of this world. I have news for you, when we focus on the mission of God, the God of that mission will take care of our needs. Amen? When we focus on the mission of God, the God of that mission will take care of our needs. doesn't say he's going to give you everything you want. He will take care of our needs, and he knows what we need, even if we don't like what it is. <laughs> if we're going to truly live for the kingdom of God in this life, on this earth, then we have to embrace a few concepts. Um, we need to be intentional about how we live them out. And the Apostle Paul has a phrase that I want us to track in three passages this morning. And this phrase is one that gets lost, I think, in our vocabulary. There's three words that go together that Paul brings out three different times in the New Testament just to make sure we get it. So it's kind of like a passage written for guys, right? Let's say it three times and we'll get it. Whatever you do is that passage. Whatever you do Whatever you do. 1 Corinthians 10.13. And though each passage is kind of worded a little bit differently, it has this phrase in it and reminds us of the importance of having this kingdom mindset, of focusing on the kingdom of God first and what it really means to do that. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. That's why we exist, isn't it? Okay, those of you that actually get into and geek out on catechisms, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Some of you are like, what's a catechism? Google it, you'll get it afterwards. So it's just kind of a summary, a concise statement of beliefs. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the Westminster catechism, I believe, right? So, How do you glorify God? And Paul gives us some insight into that. Whatever you do, do it for God. But in the specific passage, he says, whether you eat or drink. Now, he's talking about a specific scenario of food offered to idols and things like that. But he's pointing out something. Even our mealtimes can be to the glory of God. Even our mealtimes can have kingdom purpose and value. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, everybody eats and drinks. Kind of a funny phrase, isn't it? Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Even the mundane things of our lives, every part of our existence can be used to accomplish the mission of God. Mealtimes, home, recreation, the rhythms of my life, the things that seem mundane and pointless become opportunities for divine redemption when we start to have a kingdom view. The little things that we do in our homes, our recreation, can become things that can have a kingdom purpose. What about your workplace? Colossians 3, 23 and 24. (sighs) Paul just got done talking about how slaves are supposed to behave with their masters. Now, we don't have slaves in today's culture. Closest thing we have are bosses and workers. And so whether you're a volunteer or whether you get paid and you have a boss, um, this passage applies. So whatever you do, There's that phrase again. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, for you serve the Lord Christ. Do your work as if it was being done for God. In other words, recognize that your workplace is a kingdom space. That God has you where you are on purpose and that while you're there in that spot— you are the image of God to that location. Just like you are the image of God at your dinner table when you're playing with your kids, when you're raking the yard, or shoveling 15 sidewalks, whatever that looks like. The way I respond to difficult people at my workplace reflects God. The way I accomplish the tasks that are on my list reflects God. The way that I take ownership of my mistakes as well as my successes reflects God. It means that even if I have the worst boss in the world, I'm not looking at David at this point, even if I have the worst boss in the world, that I can work as if I was working for God. Because in the end, that's who I am working for. It's not an imagined thing. It's a real thing because the kingdom is the reality and this world is not the lens that we need to view it through. Well, okay, so that's work. And some of you are like, okay, well, whatever. You don't know my work. I I do. I know know what work is like. Um, And I've been in many different jobs. Every one of them is a mission field. Even when you work in a church, there's a mission field. So you have my recreation and you have my occupation, but you also have my interaction with others. And I think this one is is obvious in that Colossians 3 passage we were talking about. Remember I told you to read all of Colossians 3? Some of you tuned me out and just started reading it right then. That's cool. Um, So zip over to verse 17 in Colossians 3. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, in the how I interact with others in my speech and in my actions. What we say, how we say it, what we don't say, um, all this needs to be with kingdom intentionality. What we do for others, how we show them love and grace, how we bless them the way God has blessed us. All of these things are meant to help us fulfill the mission of God. And when you put these three together, it looks like this. In your speech, point people to God. In your actions toward others, point people to God. In the way that you work, point people to God. In the way that you do daily things of life, like eating, point people to God. In other words, whatever you do, which is why Paul used that phrase three times, point people to God. Do it for the glory of God. Do it so that people acknowledge God and not just you and me. Have a kingdom perspective in every part of our lives intentionality means looking at all of my life through the lens of who God is, what he has done, and what I now get to do with him. That's where intentionality comes. It starts with who is God and what has he done? And now what do I get to do with him in every area of my life? So going back to Colossians 3, who is God? He's the creator and sustainer. And the one who provided a way back to him through Jesus. He's the restorer of relationships, the recreator of life. And what has he done? He's restored me to a relationship with him. He's restored me back to a, a purpose, to being the image of God and to be reflecting him, to joining him on his mission. So what am I to do now? I'm to join him on that mission and to reflect him well in every aspect of my life. It means that I see all my activities as possibilities for God showing up. It means that I see all my circumstances and challenges as opportunities for God to be on display. It means that there's a bigger purpose in all of life. And my faith isn't just a bolt-on that's compartmentalized. Like, I have my recreation, and I have my faith, and I have my work. And it's, it's that our lives are about the kingdom, and everything else is influenced by that perspective. I'm not just a pastor, I'm a child of God, redeemed and restored to him, and I get to share God's word. But it starts with who is God and what has he done for me? So let's unpack this a little bit just and make this really real for us, challenges. If everything really happens for a reason, if God really has a purpose for everything and all of our circumstances can be used by God for his kingdom, for his mission, then that means every challenge that I face, whether it's that difficult person or that awful situation, is not designed just to make me miserable. But that's usually how I respond first, right? Oh God, why would you let this happen to me? It's not designed to make me miserable, but perhaps to provide an opportunity for God to use me for his mission. With one perspective, I'm seeing myself as the victim and my world is my world and this is happening and it's, it's encroaching on my kingdom. And the other perspective is, well, if this is happening and my life is about God and his kingdom, then God probably has something he wants to do through this, whether it's something in me or through me for his kingdom. Changes the way that I view things. If you're like, well, that sounds really nice, Pastor Mike, but what are some examples? Okay, well, Ruth... Maybe we'll throw Job out there, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, Joseph. I mean, where do you want to go? Jesus? Not my will. Father, if there's any way that you can take this circumstance away from me, please do it, but not what I want, what you want. Jesus said as he wrestled with God in the garden of the circumstances he was in. He just pleading with the Father to find another way, but being willing to submit to God for the kingdom's sake. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is thrown in the lion's den for praying to God. Awful circumstances. I want you to know that the survival rate is one out of a thousand, and Daniel's that guy, right? The reason you have a lion's den is so that you can dispose of people and you keep the lions hungry on purpose. People go in, lions get happy. It's really easy. Daniel gets thrown in and God spares Daniel. And King Darius in Daniel 6.25, King Darius wrote uh, wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal domain, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And he endures forever, and his kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Oh, ah, life is so tough for me. I'm Daniel. I'm praying and I'm getting punished for praying to God. No, Daniel understood that circumstances can be used for God's glory and for God's kingdom to point people to God. And that's exactly what happened in Daniel's circumstances. What about our location? (laughs) It means that every location God takes us to, he has a reason for us to be there. Every place that I want to go and I can't go, it's because God has a reason and needs me to be on mission somewhere else. Acts chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. We're talking about missionary journeys. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. No, oh, wait man, they're missionaries. And God said, no, you can't speak in Asia. That just doesn't make sense. But it does in God's kingdom. And when they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We wanted to go here and God said no. We wanted to go here and God said no. So God showed us where to go. And we decided this is where God wants us to go not for our own comfort and pleasure but to join God on his mission because that's where we have to preach the gospel right God moves people on purpose he moves you where you need to where he needs you to be so he can carry out his mission if you're living with kingdom intentionality you'll see that in other words fort drum might not be a punishment but a divine appointment amen, amen right Whether it's a deployment, whether it's the next assignment, whether it's across town to a different apartment or house, whatever it is, your location matters to God. And even where you live becomes a part of the kingdom when you view it from that way. There's a reason he has you in your neighborhood, in your town, in the state that he's called you to, because he has a mission for you to do there. So situations circumstances let me bring this really close to home as we wrap up so our local school district just announced that they'll be closed for a month right some of you that makes extremely happy those of you that don't have to go to school some of you it makes extremely nervous antsy agitated we might end up canceling our public meetings for a few weeks and going to online meetings only People are panicked and afraid, but we have hope and we have a bigger picture of life. And when you have kingdom intentionality, even if you don't like your circumstances like Daniel, you can see that even a bad circumstance, even a bad situation, even a pandemic can be used to accomplish kingdom purposes that even a world-shaking sickness can be used by God for his mission. So, if I have the worldly view of the, where we started this morning, where it says we don't have this worldly view anymore, if I have a worldly view, it's like the end of the world as we know it. There's a pandemic. Stock up on toilet paper. Still don't get that one but do it because you never know, right? I'd like to have shares in Charmin right now, really, honestly. But if I'm viewing from a worldly perspective, it's bad circumstances that are influencing my life in a negative way, and I need to figure out how to survive this. If I flip this and say, no, 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 wait a minute. I have been called to live a kingdom lifestyle, and I am not of this world, and I can't view my circumstances from a worldly perspective any longer, then I have to ask myself, what is God going to do through this circumstance? What does he want to teach me or do through me through this circumstance? Because if I'm on his mission and nothing happens apart from God, then there's something that God wants to do in the midst of this chaos. I have some ideas what it might be. People are living in fear, but Christ brings peace. People are living in hysteria, but the Holy Spirit brings comfort. People are concerned about their future, but the Father holds the future in His hands. Let me tell you something, church. I believe we have and are going to have some incredible opportunities to be the image of God to the world around us in the days ahead. If the virus hits our area, there will be people in the church and in your neighborhood that might need you to do something like go get groceries for them. Reflect God well. With so many businesses closing down temporarily, um, it's going to impact the economies of the world. Opening your table, if you have food, for somebody else to have a meal with you. The mundane things of eating and drinking can become kingdom things. In Acts chapter 2, the early church got together and it says in verses 44 through 47, all the believers were together and they held all things in common and they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house, and they ate their food with joy and sincere hearts. Notice the eating is in there again. I think the Bible is written from a Baptist perspective. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Do you catch what was going on here? There were needs, the church was meeting the needs. It was drawing people to God, and God's mission was being accomplished because the church was being what it was called to be. And I believe that even in a pandemic, we have the opportunity to do just that. And probably even more so because people will be more open to our help, more open to receiving than ever before. Let me just do a little side note on this. There's a very good likelihood that a number of us that are sitting here today are going to be in need in the days to come. Very good likelihood. There's a very good likelihood that at least one or two of our neighbors are going to be in need in the days to come. I want to encourage you to make sure before you leave today that we have your most current email address and your cell phone number and that you reach out to us with those needs. Allow us to be the body of Christ to you if you need that, but also be available to be the body of Christ to somebody else. Um, We even have an app that makes it easy to communicate. If you go to um, ncfchurch.org and go to the bottom of the page, there's a place where you can download the app for your phones. Um, It's a church app, and if, if you need to get in there, just text me or call me or just meet with me, and I'll get you on the app. But allow us to communicate and to share your needs and to meet needs. I think that God can do incredible things even in bad circumstances. Now, am I praying for bad circumstances? No, but the early church didn't pray that they would be persecuted either and God sent a persecution on them so that they would go out and do the work that God had called them to do of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, maybe God just decided to bring the whole thing in here. Let's just shake up the whole world with a pandemic so that people will stop taking counsel in their own wisdom, that people will stop thinking that they're in control all the time and finally start to look to God to be in control, finally look to God to provide for their needs. Maybe. I think there will be a lot of that. Um, I want to share with you as we close. It's not that we have another job to do. It's that we need to change our focus. Everything that we do is meant to align with God's mission. It starts through the lens of God's mission. What has God done? Who is God? What has he done? And then how can I join God in that mission? it's not a compartmentalized faith where our faith is in one box and our hobbies in another and our families in another it's that now after being reborn in jesus all of life has a purpose we've been recreated so that we can be repurposed to join god in his mission our new identity came with our new life in jesus and now enables us to live out our new mission of reconciling people to God. Friends, God wants all of us to join him on his mission. And it's easy for us to go, well, okay, that's, that's okay for you. You know, you're, you're an elder, you're supposed to do this. And yeah, the couple that we watched on the screen, you know, they're, they're giving their lives to, to mission. And so they're studying, they're learning, learning how to communicate with people, learning about the culture that they're in, trying to understand how they can have opportunities to build relationships for the kingdom. You get it? That's us. That needs to be us. Because we're on the same mission. It's just God is calling us to here or to your next duty assignment, whether that's Alaska or whether God keeps you here at Fort Drum for the next 30 years of your life. God wants us to use all of life for his kingdom. And that means that we need to live with kingdom intentionality using our words, our actions, our work, our homes, our food, everything that we have for the sake of his kingdom. And it's our hope that as we spend the next five weeks unpacking some specifics in kingdom intentionality, we're going to talk about the workplace. We're going to talk about being intentional with certain things. Um, we're going to talk about how we, how we share the, God, the good news. We're going to do some training on how to be on mission, how to be intentionally living for God's kingdom. And it's our hope that over the weeks together, the weeks to come, that we all will become more intentional about joining God on his mission. Because it's something that we've been given. It's something that we've been handed to and we're responsible for. And it's something that we get the privilege of doing because of the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are not subject to the things of this world. That we do not have to live in frustration of circumstances or fear of people. We're thankful that we don't have to wonder why we exist. That we don't have to depend upon our money or our things. But we're thankful that you have pursued us. That your mission has been that we would know you. And that through Christ we have that ability. And we thank you not just for the work that you've done in recreating us. But also for the mission that you've handed to us because of us being recreated. Because now we can stand and reflect you, we get the joy of going back to our original calling from when you created us in the first place. So help us, Father, to live with intentionality. When we start to complain about our circumstances or become the victim in our situations, help us to step back and to see that it's, it's not about the things of this world, but about what you want to do in and through us to draw this world to you. Father, help us to have the right lens and to understand that our positions, our vocations, our titles, all the things that we do are gifts from you and are meant to bring glory to you above everything else. So help us to be God-glorifiers first and to allow that to flow into every part of our lives, we pray. Amen.